Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. Jimmy, I'm going to tell you a story that I don't think I've ever shared in a book or a podcast. I can't believe I haven't shared it before. And uh, this was like 20 years ago. I'm putting together a big real estate deal with other partners. I'm asking a key leader in the community to be one of the investors, his judge, and we're having lunch at this cafe. Not a lot of people are at it. It's just me and him in this one section. And I'm nervous. And I know that I'm nervous because this is like new territory for me, the kind of scope and scale of this deal. The other reason I'm nervous is because at that time, I did not know how to be a servant leader. I instead was all about what I could get. I was proving and trying to just close stuff. So while we're eating, Jimmy, I'm nervous. So my throat's a little constricted. <laughs> I get food stuck in my throat. And, okay. and I can't like breathe. And, and this was a crazy thing that happened to me a number of times until I figured out what happened, what was going on. But it was literally my nerves just locking that food up in there. And so I freak out. I can't breathe. I don't want to let him know. You got to stay calm, cool, that's, and collected. That's when you're praying for sweaty oh. palms, right? Instead, you're choking on your food. I would have loved to have had like a butt twitch <laughs> instead. you know. <laughs> and so I go into the corner of this cafe and I gagged myself right there. To Fingers the down the throat. Dislodged the whole thing. Get a bunch of paper towels, try to clean it up real quick and then go back to the table like nothing happened. And and it's insane. My face had to have been red. I'm sure my eyes are a little bloodshot. You know, I'm probably a little sweaty. Knowing what I know now reversed that. Right. You know, he could observe some of those things. But you know what? When the transaction's about you and you right. are on the line, you're not set up to win in that. There's no being calm, cool, and collected. Right. So it's embarrassing right. to tell that story, man. That's a great story. And and every every salesperson, every CEO, every leader has experienced uh, butterflies, has gotten nervous, whether they're getting on stage or jumping into a meeting. The higher the stakes, the higher the stress for many folks. Yeah, we're continuing our conversation uh, today on Mindset. And I love this. So the question, the question, of course, there's lots of questions that you would ask yourself <laughs> if you had the knowledge back then. Like, <laughs> hey, man, is this normal? Um, you know, because the warrior says, you know, <clears throat> fuck the uh, the food in my throat. You know, keep going, dude. Get it done. And it's, and it's like, yeah, you get points for like getting the shit done. But, you know, you never stop and think, well, wait, could I avoid that? that hurdle in the future. Nah, man, who cares? Just give me any hurdle. I'll, I'll bust through that wall. It doesn't matter. Dude, it got so bad that like I was stuffing some pressure down and 
another part of this big deal was problematic. And, and, and as the economy started to shift, all the stuff that was existing in the shadows started to come out, right? And so I didn't know how to pay attention to concerns at that time. I just ran after the deal. And I know nobody listening to this can identify with that. Yeah, right. But you ignore and stuff these concerns and I would just run after the deal, run after the achievement. And I would sit in meetings at this time. And I remember it so vividly. My ribs would start to shudder from what I was stuffing down in my body. And I would like hold my ribs as they would shudder because I could not be honest about what was happening. Have you ever read uh, the book, uh, Phil Knight, Shoe Dog on the Nike story? No. So it, weird, man. I read that book a couple of years ago and it actually brought the memory back of those ribs shuddering because he talked about the exact same physiological response that would happen to him. And he would sit in meetings and just have to like hold himself, you know, in the most discreet way possible when, when <laughs> possible. So, yeah, our body is trying to tell us we don't know how to pay attention to these things. Um, at least I didn't at that yeah. age. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the real question, like when I talk to folks about the problem, which is, you know, how we are when we're in the wrong mindset, it affects our our ability to perform, which is what we want. Right. And so it's this. Um, it's this self-fulfilling prophecy. It's this thing that we do to ourselves that um, makes it harder or impossible for us to perform to our potential. Uh, and so we can identify the problem. Um, the issue and the question is, what the hell does servant leadership have to do with solving this problem, right? And we're, we introduced the concept uh, at, on the last episode and uh, I love posing the question because it's not always apparent and it just creates an amazing conversation uh, about, you know, what, what is the implication of servant leadership? And uh, I'll just kick, kick it off with a, um, a definition that I didn't make up. It was shared with me by one of my coaches throughout my career, Rocky. And uh, Rocky uh, shared this statement. He said, Jimmy, it's about the new, it's about the new golden rule. And so I share this with folks. The new golden rule is do unto others as they would have you do unto them. And, you know, the power of that message isn't really clear until you have people recite the golden rule as they know it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right. One, the original is self-centered. Mm. The new rule is other centered. It's mm. customer centric. It's mm. focus on the person you're working with or dealing with or engaged with at that moment. Well, that's why I love the way that you define the mindset here uh, for the buyer. And I'm just going to read the statement or say it directly because it's so good, a problem you can solve that must be solved now. Like that's gold because what I have learned uh, the hard way, and I've definitely increased my learning and I feel like gotten to a mastery level of this at this so fast, just from drinking a, the, the tea that I know from you. Uh, <laughs> and that is, okay, what's their most important pressing problem here? And and does it involve me? Do I need to be the one to solve it? Where before, Chris, I want to buy from you. The answer is yes. 
you know, let's set up the the cal- it's on the calendar already since you an invoice and 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 now it's like, okay, wait a second, what do you want? Where are you at? I'm gonna get ahead, but I don't want to get right. too far ahead. But it's like getting in the to that mindset is everything because now I'm truly serving them. I'm not just running ahead with my eagerness. Right. And they, they love it, but let's, so let's think about what goes inside our heads, goes on inside our head, right? So we sit down at the table or we get up on stage and we're thinking, the first thing we think about is what can I say that's going to impress somebody? What can I tell them about me? What can I show them about me that's going to rock them, that's going to make an impression? And, you know, experts, people who uh, position themselves as subject matter experts deal with this all the time. What can I say that you haven't heard before? Right. And so it puts it puts all the pressure on us to perform. But the minute you sit down and you focus on the other person, the pressure now is off of you. Your focus is on them. And how do you start the conversation? With a question. Mm-hmm. It's all about them. So you take the pressure off. One, you're no longer sweaty, no longer sweating. You're no longer you know, nervous and stressed. But you are, and you're focused on them, and you have the magic, um, the magic tool to start the conversation, the question. Mm. Which is a completely different engagement, and, and I, or a completely different way of engaging. I want to celebrate, but also raise a caution. I want to celebrate the way people are now appreciating vulnerability. And what it means to be like, here's where I'm working on myself or screwed up or whatever. Uh, I mean, honestly, the way that I started to see a lot of change in my own life in sales and as a leader was when I just started realizing, oh, I, I lie so that people will think I'm awesome. I lie so people will think I'm awesome. And, and, and as I would say that out loud more, even publicly speaking, I put it in couple of the books. I told a story about where I lied to my neighbor to protect myself, my image. It started to free me. And then it wasn't about impressing people. It's about impacting people. But, you know, some people still get stuck there and they're still so about the self-expression and and self-expression matters. But as we're talking about in this journey to move the rock, this isn't about you sitting down and expressing yourself to others. There's a time to do that. And, and, but this is the time to make it all about them and ask right, that right. question. And that's the caution. That's a great caution. And, and so why, why does making it all about them work? You know, if you want to be impressive, and we all do, we're human beings, you, you have to impress someone in the context of the perception that they have of you, right? And you have to maybe even help form that perception. So impressing somebody is ultimately based not on what you're doing at the moment, but how they perceive what you're doing at the mo- in the moment. Why not find out what impresses them? <laughs> Why not ask? Why not understand where they are, where they want to be, and how you can help. And, and it, it, while doing that, in doing that, you know, position yourself to be that person who can help and position yourself as that person who can be or is viewed as being impressive to them because you are um, understanding them first. You're building that trust and rapport. You're um, 
um, figuring out where they are, where they want to be. You're helping them decipher and really get to the to the meat of the challenge that's in front of them. And then you're not, you know, going in for the kill. Ooh, I've got a live one. You're asking another question, right? Mm -hmm. How can I, how can I help? And you're continuing to kind of walk them along a process of discovery. And the big boom is, wow, the person who helped me come to this clarity is sitting right in front of me. Why wouldn't I want your help? Yeah. I, I, this is so good because I think it's the distinction for me in my mind. It's the difference between being the chameleon and the caring guide. Because there are a lot of people who think being at a high level of execution in sales is to be the chameleon. You know, tell me who to be and I'm going to mirror that back to you. I'm going to change myself. I'm going to morph myself to, to have that impact as soon as I study you and read you and know you. Rather, I'm going to study you. I want to know you. I want to ask questions. Not to just mirror something back to yourself that you want to see, but to be the caring guide and to figure out, okay, we're here we are. We're in the middle of this jungle. You're telling me where you want to go. That's a journey that I love taking. Let's freaking go. Or it's my strong recommendation that you reach out to this person because that's not the journey I take people on. Right. You know, whatever. Love it, man. So let's so let's take what you just said and let's go back to this idea. We're looking for a problem that you can solve that must be solved now. The first thing you need to know in order to make that work is you need to know what problems you solve. You need to know who you are, mm. right? And you need to be comfortable with the idea that that is you. You are not anybody. You're not somebody who can sell ketchup to a woman in white gloves. I mean, it's not about being all things to all people and being able to take on any challenge, you know, that, that is the kind of shit that serves our ego. Um, if we're, if we're in a sales role or a leadership role and we've got to create movement, right? We've got to take advantage of change, create change to get ourselves or our people somewhere. Doesn't help us if we step outside of um, the core competencies we bring to the table, the capabilities we bring to the table, the things that we can really do well, we're going to end up getting in trouble. So the, go ahead, Chris. No, I was saying that's, that's it. I mean, and that takes so much uh, stillness, reflection, figuring out, right? The study, the, the paying attention it's, and it's, that's the mindset. The mindset is like, okay, it's not about me. So I got to figure this out. I might be right. energized to be around people, but it's going to take some time. Right, right. And so if you can articulate who you are, what you do, what you're really good at, then you'll then you'll be prepared to say yes or no. I can or I cannot help you. And you'll be prepared to ask the kind of questions that can very quickly get to a point where you understand whether or not this person uh, has a challenge that you can serve, Right. Uh, so we like to talk about this idea of a shared goal and a shared path, right? So the shared goal is the problem that someone has. So by showing up as a servant leader, you are showing up to serve and you're showing up to ask questions to understand whether or not this is somebody that you are built to serve, whether or this, this is somebody who needs or requires the capability you bring to the table. At that moment, you've identified now that shared goal, that shared problem. 
Now you've identified somebody that you can serve. And then the next step is that is that moving into that leadership role. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, no, this is making me think of how I can uh, excel with my kids when they're like, dad, hey, I need you. And I'm like, I can't talk to you right now, peasant. I got to go be a superstar on a podcast. And they're like, dad, can you? And I'm like, no, I only solve two problems for this family. Smoking meat and watching movies with you. No, whatever. No, I'm kidding. I... I love this approach because this, I love the way you use the language shared path. It takes me to a word co-create, right? Right. When, when something is really cool and beautiful and it's this human to human moment and we're advancing, we're co-creating something. This is like a new thing that hasn't happened before. These two people haven't come together. These two teams haven't come together. They haven't taken this advancement. They haven't moved this mission forward this way. And that's, that's exciting, right? That's work of meaning. That's work of purpose. That's work of, uh, not just checking boxes, but actually feeling that sense of purpose, meaning, and accomplishment. And so uh, that shared path, that mindset, when we approach it that way, and yes, we can talk about getting better at at routines and systems, but there's still a freshness to it, right? I mean, as much as I'm joking about the family stuff, I think it's a great analogy because how many times have I had dinner with my family? A million and one, but I still don't want to go into that and phone it in. I want to sit there and experience that with a sense of awe, with a sense of freshness, with a sense of openness. And the cool part is for me, when it's about the other, the other team, the other person, and there's a sense of fascination in me and creativity and, and curiosity, I'm studying this moment with an interest in a way that I wouldn't normally, the co-creation of that. They become interesting to me in a beautiful, beautiful way. Wow. And they feel interesting because because you see them as interesting which is an amazing place to be uh if we're just thinking about our kids i remember my experience um my wife and i took some time to have kids after we were married uh and we ended up using medical science to actually get there so we have two miracles um under our roof that's awesome uh, but early, you know, so we had a lot of time to get to know each other that those first 10 years of our marriage. And I, you know, it took some time for me to recognize the role that I was playing, which was this problem solver. And I know everybody's rolling their eyes because yeah, duh, Jimmy. Well, I'm, I, I'm slow. Okay. <laughs> uh, but you know, Chris, if we show up with our kids or with our spouse and they have a challenge, they're unhappy, whatever, if we show up as that servant leader and start asking questions and then don't presume that we can solve it, you know, follow up with a, fi with a final question, how can I help? You know, we've mm -hmm. provided the questions, we've given them a chance to, to speak, to, to air what might be on their mind. Then we ask, is this something I can help you with? Now I'm no longer the problem solver, that boorish, you know, know-it-all who makes me feel like crap every time he walks into the room. And yes, I give him a chance to, to help because if I don't, you know, I'll upset my dad or my spouse, whatever it is. Um, but imagine being able to give them the ability to say yes or no. Um, and, and you're actually really showing up as that, as that servant. And then when they say yes, you can then display the prowess of your leadership, right? To lead them down that shared path. Dude, I had the same verb in my mind, display. 
you shine that brilliance, but you don't shine that brilliance till you flesh out and exhaust that curiosity. Um, and that's like, that's the rhythm. And so I see so many people and I've seen this in myself too many times. I try to, you know, unveil that brilliance before I've exhausted that curiosity. And when I flip those, then it's like, whoa, this is interesting. It's fascinating. I'm trying to dive into this. My mind is firing on all cylinders. I'm taking in all of these inputs and signals and trying to distinguish what's the noise and what's the real thing to pay attention to. And then it starts to coalesce and crystallize down. And as it does that, then it's like, and the mistake I've made too many times is getting into an engagement, solving the problem that I was excited to solve, only getting in to find out that there was a bigger problem. Some of the consulting we've done with companies where it's multi-year journeys, you know, I'm trying to get them to tackle something that takes a few years for them to get to the point that they can tackle all because I didn't exhibit enough curiosity on the front end. And that's like, you know, real life pain of Chris McAllister. Cause I get so excited for where these companies can go and they see it and they get there. But sometimes that takes a few years when it could have happened quicker. If I would have here, paradoxical, here it is. We could have moved quicker on the back end if we would have moved slower on the front end. Yeah. Yeah. I was Patience. expecting you to go, Chris, that was amazing. That's the best I've ever heard that word. Chris, <laughs> you just took the words out of me. No, I'm just... <laughs> but no, is that not what you, I, I mean, that's what well, I've learned so much from you. Slower on the front end, the, the, yeah. the initial engagement. And if you, and if you tell your boss that, right, if you're, if you're a produce individual producer and you tell your boss that, you know, she'll kick you in the ass and tell you to get, get the hell out of her office because what do you mean slow, right? And so, mm. you know, and what do you mean have patience, you know? This, there's this concept in sales that, you know, we have to be the alpha and we, and we have to be impatient. We have to be urgent. We have to be run, running, running, running and gunning, gunning, gunning to get this shit done. And it's take no prisoners, bring back the pelts, the, the, you know, the village has to eat baby and it's up to you. And if you can't, then we don't need you get the hell out. Right. So it's like all this shit going on inside our heads. And so this idea of having patience is foreign, right mm. into the to that to that kind of high growth sales culture but the concept of an appropriate amount of patience is one that can be defended ah what do you mean appropriate well look we can um you know we can be boorish um blunt instruments or we can be brilliant wise tacticians and strategists right and so that's really what we're talking about this is uh, rolling around in my head now. Methodical on the front end, masterful on the back end. <laughs> right? You'll dude, figure it out, dude. <laughs> I'm having too much fun with this. You'll figure that shit out. The, the, the shift that happens when you go, oh, okay, I'm excited, but I'm pausing. I want to know that we're on the same page. What This, this is the, about the relationship I have with the buyer, the main problem they're trying to solve. And I'm going to dig in there and, and investigate, you know, um, I'm curious, when is an experience you've had receiving something being sold to you where they totally violated this and it was comical and you knew it was happening and you just went along with it? Does it I, there has to be a story oh, that stands horrible. out in your mind. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, there's a million stories. I mean, I remember going car shopping with my uh, oldest daughter and she still tells the story of, you know, the 
in her mind, the, the, the gross car salesman. And I, and I hate to pick on car salesmen because I have friends and I, I mean, I, I just have so much fun with, with these folks. Uh, but you know, it's like, what do I have to do to get you into that car? And he kind of points at me with his two hands and his pointer fingers out. Right. It's like, you know, the, and she recognized it at like 15, how sleazy and gross that was. Mm. Um, my wife and daughters, we were, we were traveling in California and they, they had to go down Rodeo drive. And I, I tell the story often because it's a classic situation of just being, um, that salesperson who is so detached, uh, you know, the, the three women walking down the street by a shop. And this guy was out there. Um, he was, uh, he was selling, um, like face cream and, and, you know, my bride said no once kept walking uh, or no thanks. And then he said, well, madam, may I ask you, you know, um, do you really want to spend the whole walk around the whole day with those dark bags under your eyes? And, oh. you know, it was like, you know, so it's like, you know, you have this, this, you know, entirely manipulative, right. Psychological game that this person's playing and he's looking for people with that weak, with that weak self image who are like, Oh shit, really? Let me look in the mirror. I didn't, I had no idea. Oh, please help me. So he's looking for that kind of person they could take advantage of versus um, looking to build that healthy relationship. Yeah. See, man, that's terrible. And it also, uh, it's, you got to know your context. So here's what I mean. <laughs> I, I have you, I haven't, but I've had a little bit, uh, have you had a lot of experience or a little bit of experience with any kind of work in the, in the middle East with sales there? I have a very dear friend uh, uh, from the Middle East who I work with on a regular basis. Okay. So I'm curious to hear about this because like when I, and I haven't been to a ton of countries, but being over there, dude, like I love that atmosphere because all negotiation is a game. Right. There's no offense taken. Right. In America, it's a different context or in the West. So I can even remember like as a tourist going up to buy something and the price is on there. And then you, you have fun and you offer a lower price. And we went back and forth and kind of yelling at each other. I didn't take it personal. He didn't take it personal. I'm smiling. I walk off. I remember I'm walking down the alley, you know, this busy street with all these little stands set up and he's yelling for me to come back and, and to buy it at that price. And, and I did. And, you know, it was just fun. It was fun. Right. But yet when I brought a lot of that into early business decisions like most people in the western context it's that's not it's not a game right it's a different approach yeah and, and we're also talking about two different types of selling so this is really good that you brought the example up i mean what we're talking about here is a you know is a strategic approach to building you know long-term relationships potentially mm -hmm. walking through a complex buying cycle uh with multiple decision makers so you know, there's value in the patient approach. And uh, I, I, you know, I have a buddy who, who says that um, sales is the transfer of enthusiasm, you know, in a complex uh, strategic sale, that enthusiasm will get you maybe the first meeting. Yeah. But then the rest of it, you got to show up and deliver some value. Right. And so that's what we're, I think we're talking about here is, beyond that initial transaction, right? The, the first close is to talk to me. Yeah. 
uh, enthusiasm. Maybe there's some games being played, but then once you have that conversation in the context of a, of a, a strategic B2B conversation, now it's about how do I add value? And that's where we come to this idea of a problem, right? Um, the reason we're focused on asking questions and understanding the problem is because when we understand the problem, we can actually determine the value of addressing that problem. Yes. And that, I love that you use the word value here because I think it's a good point to like put a pin in this shift that happens at the beginner level. What your friend said, it's true. You're bringing enthusiasm, but that's the beginner level (laughs) at the pro level. You start to get methodical. You have boundaries at the master level. You've got the enthusiasm. You've got the boundaries, but you're also expansive. There's fences, but you can see way beyond those fences. The horizon expands. You see ways to add and multiply. You know where I'm headed? Value. Right. Um, and that for me has been really powerful, having so many different conversations with you regarding sales to see where uh, that value multiplication that's the magic. I mean, I stumbled into this a little bit a couple of years ago with negotiation. Um, this teaching that I'd done on negotiation that was just like, it's not about winning the negotiation. It's about extending the vision. If you can be in a negotiation and you extend the vision beyond what anybody else can see, like that's really winning. Now we're, you know, multiplying value, as you would say. But to think about how this applies at a, at a, powerful level to sales, you know, that's then it's like, doesn't that take some of the fear of sales out? You're not winning, you're losing. You're serving, you're multiplying value, which is the mindset piece. Right. And I think, I think what's really cool about this is, you know, when I set out to start Florist Group and get into teaching sales, right, I, I really wanted to find, and I couldn't, a methodology or an approach that um, after I practice it, I would feel really comfortable sharing with the person I just sold something to my approach. In other words, I don't want anything that makes me feel gross or, (laughs) you know, not proud of my profession. And so what's really important when you're in a moment like this, like back to, you know, when you're raising money for your real estate deal, you know, when we're asking questions, we have to know why we're asking. And there has to be a sincere mutual benefit to the question that I'm asking so that I can stand on that question and, mm-hmm. and, and have it relate to and, and, and support the core values that I bring to the table. I am here. I'm here for you. I, and I'll stay for us. Right. I'm here for you now. I want to ask some questions, understand where you are, see if I can help. And then I will stay if there's a shared goal that we can both uh, participate in. Mm. Um, and, and so that's like the most sincere thing you could say to somebody. And if your questions are reflective of that, you're going to be in good shape. And I think yeah. it's the questions. Are the, and so the next step is to think about what questions am I asking to really understand that problem. Because when we talk about a problem, Chris, we're not just talking about pain, right? This is again, an overused word um, that the beginner pro level type folks 
and forgive me for being arrogant by accusing the folks that use the word pain for being beginners or pros, not masters. I don't want to come across that way, but I do want to, I do want to, I do want to make the statement that pain isn't specific enough. Mm. Just because somebody has a pain doesn't mean they have a problem that you can solve that must be solved now. Mm. Man, that, I mean, I I feel like I need to have that as a sticky note on my computer (laughs) just because that's, you know, that's the thing that we're spending our wills on so often in all relationships, you know, you can't, you can't take somebody somewhere where they don't want to go. They have to want change. And for them to want change, it often has to be a problem that feels uh, in a pressing way. This has got to be addressed right, right now. Right. That's the timing issue, you know, and it's too easy to skip over that. So bring on the distinctions. And I appreciate the humility with which you're trying to do it. But we want to, I know you want to help get people to that master level. Yeah. And, and getting beyond the word pain into change. What must change now? What's this problem? That's where the magic moment happens. Right, right. And so, yeah, we're going to wrap up this session, I think, with, with, this, with these definitions. So this will be really good. Um, so I use, it, I use an example all the time, and it's not the most sophisticated example, but it's, it's, it gets the point across. Um, you know, this I, I, I used to think all the time, because um, I, I grew up fairly healthy. My parents grew up as, uh, they were smokers. I had a lot of friends that smoked. And then, of course, you're seeing, you know, as society changes and smoking becomes uncool, it becomes now this stigma, right? And a lot of smokers are, you know, victims of this stigma. But uh, it's a great, it's a great teaching tool, right? Because I ask folks all the time, if you saw someone who was smoking, again, given um, the way society views smoking today, would you say they have a problem? And a lot of people say, most people, in fact, say, of course. Mm-hmm. And I say, really? Right? That, I mean, you know, this is a great way to think about or to test our definition of what a problem is. Um, we define a problem as a win, a want, an impact, and a need. When I identify that problem or that that win, I identify the problem. So let's let's use the tool wants, impacts, needs, the win to decipher whether somebody who smokes actually has a problem, right? It's only a problem if they want something that they can't get by virtue of their current situation. So let's say that they. So I ask a smoker, "What do you want?" And they tell me, "I want to live long." Right? I want to live a long time and I want to be active while I'm doing that. I, I chalk that up. Okay, great. I just got the first, you know, the first step to defining your problem, baby. Because if you want, in my mind, if you want to live long and be active, you've got to stop. You've got to change your behavior. But I haven't gotten there yet. What's the impact, right? What's the impact of success, failure, or doing nothing? In other words, what would be the impact for living long and, and being vibrant? The impact for you. And they say to me, oftentimes I'd hear folks say, um, oh man, I want to see my, my kids get married. I want to hold my grandchildren. I check another box. Oh shit, man, you got a problem. Your problem is growing here, man, because you want to live long and be active. And you've got this incredibly important emotional thing that's, that's taking you there. Um, 
amazing. And so the next question is now what's stopping you, right? What are the needs that are blocking you? And I think I know the answer and he'll tell me or she'll tell me nothing. Life is good. Thanks. Right. And, and then my whole sales pitch blows up because, oh shit, I was going to sell you this smoking cessation product that I have. What do you mean? Nothing. You're a smoker. Well, it, as it turns out, Jimmy, um, you know, my people, my family, every member of my family has been smoking since they were like six years old and they lived to their 95. No problems. Life is good. So a problem just isn't a behavior that I determined to be um, disconnected to what someone's dreams are, or their goals are. The problem is defined by not just this need, this behavior that might be causing a problem, but it only becomes a problem when it's attached to an impact and a want, a larger goal or vision um, that's really important to somebody. And by virtue of having this need, they can't get there. So it's the whole win. It's not just pain, right? Pain exists actually at all three levels. If I want something I don't have, I have pain. If there's an impact I desire that I, I can't get to, there's pain. If there's a need that's in front of me that I want to solve, that can create pain. The question is, is it painful enough to cause you to move, to cause you to change? Mm, and I love and it because so, so much isn't. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and, that's, and that's the exploration of the conversation. So if I'm a doctor and I'm trying to get my patient to be healthy and we have this conversation and they tell me, yeah, doc, life is good. I smoke like three packs a day, but everybody in my family lives lives long and they prosper, baby. So I'm cool. My job now as a doc is to say, is to ask the question, are you sure? And then cause a little bit of doubt in their mind. Why? Because I'm here to help. And they say, well, what do you mean? Well, statistically, uh, statistically, the genetic uh, factors that make you feel like you're empowered or emboldened to live long and healthy, even despite these bad habits, really don't work to your advantage. In fact, there's a 70% chance by the time you turn 60, you're going to end up on your back, um, on a respirator, um, you know, for the rest of your life, enduring bed sores, you're going to end up smelling like a combination of piss, shit, and medication. And in fact, your family is going to be so depressed when they come visit you in the nursing home, they're not going to want to come see you anymore. So you'll end up probably spending, likely spend the last 15 years of your life on your back in pain alone. Mm. My job is to understand their viewpoint, where they are, and help them understand how the perceptions that, they're, that they bring to the table, this complacency they've talked themselves into, really is going to work to their disadvantage, and I have to then help them understand. And now I know exactly how to help them understand where they've made a mistake. Yeah. And then when they're motivated, they're like, oh, shit, you know, that sucks. What can I do? My question back to them as that doctor is, would you like my help? The answer is yes. And now I have the opportunity to solve that problem. We've identified a problem that must that I can solve that must be solved now. We've identified the want, the impact, and the need, the win. And now I can move to solution stage. And I've done it 
without any pressure, without any pr- pressure to perform, without any urgency, uh, without the the person I'm working with feeling like they're being pressured or manipulated. And it was driven entirely by the information I was able to, to garner from my patient or my client, my buyer, whoever I'm working with. It's awesome. It's awesome. It brings up a question that I think I'll have to save for our next episode. I'm sure it'll fit right with where we're headed. Um, but yeah, you're guiding people through this process. They have a big vision, the want, the impact of that vision of their life, and what do they need to accomplish that vision? Um, I've got, I, I see a potential roadblock that I want to bring up next time and ask you about. Well, let's do it. Right on. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.